Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard. Uh, this past Sunday, we had a little bit of a technical uh, issue with our live stream setup, and so we weren't able to uh, stream uh, per usual. And so I wanted to take some time uh, to share with you what it was that I was talking about on Sunday. And, and I hope that this really uh, connects with, with you and that the Holy Spirit speaks to you uh, as we dig into his words. So, you know, one of the questions that I think that we commonly have is how do we know when we're living lives that are uh, what Jesus has for us? How do we know when we're living a, a life that is following the calling of Jesus, uh, that's doing the things that he's laid out for us, that we're following his plan? Uh, you know, how do I know that, you know, so to speak, that God's giving me like his thumbs up and saying, good job, this is what I have for you. There's a lot of different answers that we could give for this, but I think one of the answers, maybe one of the main answers even, is, is the fruit good? Is the fruit of your life good? Let me explain to you what I mean by this uh, through a story. So when I was 27, I was getting ready to go to seminary, and I had laid everything out perfectly. Uh, I had a job lined up that was going to give me the flexibility uh, to make what I needed to make and uh, to have the schedule flexibility to go to school full time. Uh, I knew where I was living. I was going to still stay uh, in the same community, church community that I was a part of. The seminary was about an hour away. I would commute up two days a week. Uh, I had it all laid out. The only thing that I was waiting for was to find out how much scholarship money the seminary was going to give me. So about two months before the school year was getting ready to start, kind of middle of the summer, just like this time of year, uh, I got a letter from the seminary that I thought I was going to go to saying that I wasn't going to get any financial aid, zero dollars. And that meant that I was not going to that seminary. Like there was no possible way that I was going to be able to pay for it all out of pocket. And so my well-laid plans kind of fell apart. And I said, okay, well, what am I going to do? You know, like, what, what, what does this mean for, for me right now? And I was like, well, I have a job. I have a place to live. I can make it. I'm just going to keep moving forward and see what happens. And I started looking at other seminaries that I could pitch, potentially go to, not in two months, but in, you know, several, uh, several months or in, in a year. And so I started looking a little bit more and I came across a seminary that was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, which was about a three hour drive from where I was living in Ohio. And so I was like, I'm just going to go visit it. Looks like a good school. Let me go check it out. So my friend Gary and I, we, we made a trip of it to go hang out in the city and visit the seminary. Uh, we drive out we arrive at the seminary, the dean of admissions meets us. She gives me the hard sell, like the long, hard sell. Uh, we had like a, a three-hour appointment. I mean, when was the last time you had a three-hour appointment with the dean of admissions for a uh, university? Like, it was the hard sell. She introduced me to everybody on campus that she possibly could. It was in between semesters, so there weren't a lot of people there. But everybody that she could, she introduced me to. Uh, It was really good, connected really well. I liked what I saw, and I was like, I can see myself going here. So we get back to her office. We sit down, and I had given her my paperwork, uh, my application paperwork, before we had gone on the tour. And so she said, well, good news. We would love to have you be a student 
here at Trinity. And I said, that's awesome. Uh, and she said, even better news is we would love to offer you a full-ride scholarship, everything paid. And my mouth just dropped open. I was like, what? Are you serious? For real? Like, in my head, I'm like, this is great. So either in January or in the, the following September, like, this is going to be perfect. I have a school that I like, a full ride. Like, this is awesome. I'm really excited. And she goes, but we need you to start this semester in two weeks. <laughs> and I just looked at her, and, like, I'm sure my mouth dropped open. And I was like, uh, really? I'm not sure what to do with this. So I said, can I take a day or two and think about this? She said, of course. She gave me some info for a landlord uh, that rented to students in the town. And so I, I, we left. I contacted a couple of them, got a hold of one of them. He showed me a place directly across the street from the seminary that was for the same amount of money that I was going to pay with roommates in Columbus. I, was, I could pay by myself, two-bedroom duplex, great place. Uh, Everything was just starting to come together. And so Gary and I, we go and we hang out in Pittsburgh. And later on that night, he's like, so what do you think? What are you going to do? And I was like, I, I don't really know yet. I think I need a little bit more time. And so we, uh, we went to the hotel next morning, get up, eating breakfast at the hotel. And he goes again, so what are you going to do? Like, what's, what's your thought? said, I don't know. Uh, no. I looked at him and I said, Gary, I think Jesus is saying that I'm supposed to move to Trinity and go to seminary here in two weeks. And we just laughed about it because it is just not the way that I would like to move. But I called the school and I said, I'm in. I, I contacted the landlord said, can I come by and drop off my deposit and sign the lease before I go back to Ohio? And then I went back to Ohio, I quit my job, said goodbye to my friends, uh, packed up my stuff, and two weeks later, I was there, and I was starting school. In Galatians 5, it says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. The day that I chose to move, I knew that the Holy Spirit was guiding me. I knew that it was risky, but I also was really aware of the fact that it was the Holy Spirit. And you might be saying, like, how? How do you know that that's who it was? That it just sounds impulsive. Like, how do you know it was God versus just your impulsivity? And honestly, for me, that was one of the things, because I am not impulsive like that. I don't like to make big life decisions just spur of the moment, like, let's go do it. Uh, you know, I like to plan it out a little bit more. Uh, and yet, in making this, I felt extreme peace. When I was at the seminary, I felt real joy at, at being in that space. Uh, when when uh, she, she offered me uh, a full ride, and when I found an apartment, a uh, place to live that was the same price as what I had already budgeted, I felt God's goodness and, and his kindness in the midst of it. I guess essentially what I'm saying is that the fruit was really good. And so I knew that if I was going to live a Holy Spirit-led life, that this was a good path to go down. My life dramatically changed at that point, because the fruit was good. But you know what happened the first day of seminary? I met Sarah, my wife. 
And then I never would have moved to New England without meeting her because it just wasn't on my radar. And now we're planted here in Hopkinton, pastoring. Our calling has developed. Uh, my family's grown. Like all the things have lined up because I was willing to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life and do something that seemed kind of risky and impulsive in the moment. When you're living a life led by the Holy Spirit, the fruit will be good. I didn't say it would be easy. I didn't say it would be perfect. I didn't say it would be sin-free or that you would uh, be living uh, so abundantly that you have no needs. I said good. So what is good fruit in your life? Well, we're going to spend the morning in Galatians chapter 5. And as we talk about growing deeper, uh, so if you have a Bible there, go ahead and open it up. And I hope this, that as we talk about this, that the Holy Spirit will really speak to your heart and uh, that you'll hear his invitation to ask questions like, am I growing good fruit? And uh, am I really living a Holy Spirit-led life? Those are good questions to ask. They might be scary questions, but they're good and they bring really good introspective moments, good conversations with Jesus. And so I want to pray for us as we have these conversations with Jesus that we'll hear him clearly and that we'll be led by him in the directions that he wants us to go. So I invite you just to pray with me right now. Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you are here with us in our homes, in our cars, at work, uh, at the gym, wherever it is that, that we're, we're connecting in today. And I pray that you will really speak to us. Show us what it looks like for our lives to bear good fruit. Show us how it is that you're already working in our lives. Bring healing and wholeness to any areas that need healing and wholeness. And let your voice sound clearly in our ears. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. So Galatians 5, 16 through 26, let's read this together. Again, feel free to look it up and read along with me. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Those who belong to Christ, have Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Verse 16 starts off by clarifying that there are two ways to live. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Holy Spirit guided life, sinful nature guided 
life. So what does it look like to live a Holy Spirit-guided life to start us off? Well, one of my heroes is a man named Brother Lawrence. And before he was Brother Lawrence, and he lived a couple centuries ago, his name was Nicholas Herman. And one uh, day, Nicholas was walking in rural France uh, in the winter, and he saw a tree that was like a winter tree. No leaves, no fruit, you know, just barren. And he felt like Jesus spoke to him and said that just like that tree doesn't have any leaves or fruit, uh, but is being prepared internally for the seasons that are going, getting ready to come, for the spring and the summer and the abundance that's going to happen to it, so is your life. Right now, it may look barren and without uh, much to see on the exterior spiritually, but interiorly, you're being developed for the seasons that are to come. And he grabbed a hold of that word and like really felt like that was Jesus speaking clearly to his heart. And so his life went through some pretty dramatic changes and injuries, which led to career changes. And he ended up becoming a monk and a cook at a monastery in France, which is where he became Brother Lawrence, changed his name at that point. And Brother Lawrence wrote one time that we can do little things for God. I turn the cake that's frying on the pan for the love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself and worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. It's enough for me to pick up on a straw from the ground for the love of God. It's enough for me but to pick up a straw from the ground for the love of God. Brother Lawrence lived a very simple, basic life. No extras, no frills, not many things. But he found joy in it because he knew that he was at the place that Jesus had let him. He was at the place that the Holy Spirit had guided him towards. And in that place, he knew that there was great abundance and fruitfulness that was going to be shown from his life because he had been led there by Jesus. And this is what a Holy Spirit life looks like. It's a life that bears good fruit as you're focused on living out the love of Jesus in the places that Jesus has planted you. But we have a choice. We can live a Holy Spirit-led life, or we can live a sinful nature-guided life. So let's talk about the other option. Well, it's translated, this word sinful nature is translated as flesh in many other translations, maybe in the one that you're reading. And flesh can, of course, mean your body. We get that. Uh, But often in the New Testament, it's more referring to this idea like Eugene Peterson says that the flesh is the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. The flesh is the corruption that sin brings into our appetites and instincts. So, in order to define flesh, let's define sin for a second here. What is sin? Well, the correct answer is not an outdated term that no longer has any bearing on our life, although many people have tried to say that that's what it is. Sin is a thought, an action, a desire that goes against the plans, the ways, the character, and the person of God. The Bible tells us that sin is breaking God's law. It's rebelling against God. Sin is at odds with God. It separates us from God. It imprisons us. It binds us up. So the sinful nature and the flesh are essentially corrupted states that leave us uh, going, working, moving against God. That's what Paul's telling us here when he says that we're led by the sinful nature. 
So what does that look like for us today? Let me tie this in here. Uh, Sigmund Freud, he once said that the repression of desire is the basis for all neuroses, which really means that the reason that you're unhappy is because someone told you that you can't do something. You're unhappy because someone told you that you can't do something. If we look at our culture as a whole, it's obvious to see that that view has won the popular vote in America. That is the way that we live, which is why, as John Mark Comer, a pastor, says, we just assume that the way to a happy, flourishing life is to follow our hearts, which we often misunderstand to be any authentic desire. We assume that the way to a happy life is to follow anything that we think is an authentic desire. Essentially, in our culture, uh, living the good life means that we get what we want. And if we think of who we uh, look at and see as living a good life, we, we think of celebrities, maybe, you know, athletes, uh, the, the wealthy people around us, you know, maybe it's somebody like Bill Gates or Elon Musk who, who has enough money to have everything that they want. And when they want something else, they can buy that too, like a, a spaceship. Or, uh, and on top of that, that they have enough money that they can give to other people and feel good about having that much uh, money. Like that's what the what a good life looks like in American culture. That's what we all uh, look towards, it seems like. That's the idealized version of living a good life in our culture. But here's the thing. According to the Bible, living a good life is about becoming people who reflect the character of God and desire the things of God. Living a good life, according to the Bible, is about becoming people who reflect the character of God and want the things of God. And we cannot go down these two paths at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. They are incompatible. We're forced to choose because you can't do both at the same time. That's what Paul says. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. And if you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. So Paul says that these two things do not line up. You can't live in both at the same time. And the results of both are obvious if we step back and look at it. And when he talks about desires here in verse 19, the word for desire is not a neutral term. It's not like, you know, I desire an ice cream. That's kind of a neutral thing. It just is what it is. What he's talking about here are vices, habits that grab a hold of you. Uh, addictions would be another word. Things that grab a hold of you, that tie you down, that are really hard to break free of. Those are the things that he's saying are the results of living a sinful life. But it's important to recognize that just because a desire feels strong doesn't mean that it's actually your deepest desire. Our deepest desires is people who are created by Jesus, the creator of all. We are created to want the things of God. We are created to have desires for love, for joy, for wholeness, for the presence of God. Our deepest desires are those things which we have been created with. There may be strong desires which are at odds with that, but that does not mean that those are our deepest desires. And those two things need to be acknowledged. 
As followers of Jesus, the deepest thing is the things of Jesus. And it is the strongest thing if you allow it to have control and leadership in your life. But these desires, these vices, these habits, whatever word you want to use, can be very strong. And various theologians have broken down this category, these, these things from verses 19 to 21 into four different categories. So I want to run through them here. So first is the sins of desire. It's sexual immorality, impurity, and lustful desires. You know, oftentimes uh, you'll hear, especially in church settings, uh, people say things like uh, the, about how bad the sexual ethics of our culture is. Uh, that makes it seem almost like it's worse than it's ever been. And, you know, I just want to point out that our culture doesn't corner the market when it comes to poor sexual ethics. Uh, during Paul's time, there's a famous saying that was, we have prostitutes for pleasure, uh, concubines for daily physical use, wives to bring up legitimate children, and to be faithful stewards in household matters. Poor sexual ethics have been around for a long time. This doesn't give our culture a pass, but it should give us hope. And here's where we should have hope. It's in the fact that the church, as long as there's been a church, has always been at odds with the sexual standards of the surrounding culture. We have never lined up with the sexual ethics of our culture. We have always been called to live differently. For 2,000 years, we've been called to live differently which means that we're not all that unique in that today. But it does mean that we need to recognize that, that our standards are going to be different than what we see around us. And so what does that look like for these sins of desire that Paul mentions here? Uh, you know, I, I, what does it look like today? I, I think it looks like uh, Tinder in the hookup culture. That doesn't fit with the sexual standards of Jesus uh, pornography, polyamorous relationships, and other things of that, that sort, those don't fit within what God has asked us to live out in, in stable, committed uh, relationships. And then there's sins of worship, like idolatry or sorcery. And I talked about this a few weeks ago. I said that an idol is anything that you need to be okay. And so again, I would just want to ask you, like, what is it that you need in your life in order to be okay? If it's anything other than Jesus, now is a good time to hit pause and to say, Jesus, come and bring freedom from whatever it is. And then there's sins against one another, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. You know, when you read the New Testament, this grouping should stick out because it's one of the most commonly uh, referred to and repeated group of, of sins that you can fall into. Uh, and I think that's for two reasons. One, I think it's because it's just easy for us to fall into these. And the second, though, is because I think it's easy for us as the church, as followers of Jesus, to fall into these. But when we do that as followers of Jesus, instead of reflecting Jesus, we, we start just looking like everybody else. And what's in that? What, what's the point in just looking like everybody else? At that point, there's nothing different about how it is that we're living. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus who reflect Jesus to our world, then we need to live differently in Paul is encouraging us, saying you can't live like that and still reflect Jesus to the world. So you need to choose 
which way you're going to live. And again, current versions of these sins, you know, there, there's hostility and outbursts of anger are seen in our social media outbursts, in, in our cancel culture, and pretty much in all the news sources. Uh, jealousy and envy are glorified in advertising and shopping environments. And by staring at our phones, wishing that we had the pretty lives of everybody else on Instagram who are using unrealistic filters uh, to show their life. Dissension and division have not just become kind of normalized, but I would say that it's actually the way that we're running our country and many other countries throughout the world right now. That can't be the way that we live. And then there's the sins of what they call extreme desire, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. The only thing I want to say about this is that it's sad that in our culture, uh, it's been so glorified in what we take in through TV and movies that we've become desensitized to it. It doesn't bother us, or at the very least, we just think that that everybody else is doing it. And so it's just kind of a normalized thing. And so we've stopped seeing the extreme nature of it and the unhealthiness of it. And instead, we've just said, well, that's just kind of what it is. But God calls us to more. Paul doesn't do much more at the end of this and say, these are wrong. And if you do these, then you are not going to enter the kingdom of God. He he doesn't say how terrible you are. He doesn't say that these are the 12 things you need to do in order to get back on the path. He doesn't say that you're, you're horrible people if you're doing these. He just says, these are not Okay, stop it so that you can go back to following Jesus, so you can choose to follow Jesus for the first time, so that you can inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying to us that we have a choice. And every time that we choose the flesh, we are planting seeds that are going to bear results, bear fruit like these things that I just mentioned. And every time that we choose the Spirit, we're planting seeds that are going to grow the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what is it that the fruit of the Spirit looks like? Here's what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What's interesting here is that the word for fruit is singular, not plural which this is what it means. You know, when I I look at this list and I'm like, oh, great, I'm doing good in like one or two of these areas. In the other 10, I'm not doing as good in. You know, and I think many of us feel this when we're like, well, shoot, I'm not showing all of these fruit. But what Paul's actually telling us is that if you are following the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, if you are following Jesus, then all of these fruits are going to grow within you. Singular is going to become deeper and richer and more colorful and whatever, uh, however far you want to take this imagery. But when the Holy Spirit's working in your life, you're going to see the evidence of all of these. And that's really encouraging for me. Because when we choose to grow, uh, to follow the path of the Holy Spirit, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, we become loving, joy-filled, peace-filled, unhurried, helpful, deeply good and kind, measured and under control sorts of people. And all of this starts to develop within us. Over time, if you look back, you'll start to notice like, wow, that thing that I used to see as my biggest weakness, now 
I'm, I'm doing okay in. And that's what happens. The Holy Spirit deepens us and grows within us. But it doesn't just happen. You don't just choose to follow Jesus, sit back, and then be like, boom, now it's done. No, you choose to follow Jesus, and then you keep working on it. One step after another, you prune, you water, you fertilize, you pay attention to where there's moss or ivy growing, and you deal with it. Uh, when your tree is young and flimsy, you, you, you tie it to stronger things on the side so it doesn't get blown down uh, when the storms come. You pay attention to what it needs, to what your life needs in order to live differently. Because following Jesus, living a life led by the Spirit requires intentionality. It's a left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, one step at a time sort of thing. We don't fight the flesh by being stronger. We follow, we fight the flesh by embracing the one who is stronger. And the leadership of the Holy Spirit will cause us to ask questions like, will this action lead me more enslaved or more free? What kind of fruit is this going to reap in my life? And I love what John Stott, the great British pastor, what he once said when he lived into his 90s, a good age. And uh, when he was older in his 80s and 90s, people would would ask him, like, what are your ambitions for the rest of your life? And he said, you know, every day I read the list of the fruit of the Spirit, and I ask Jesus to, fu to fulfill it in my life. And he says, my, my only ambition, my only goal in my life is, is simply this, that every day I become just a little bit more like Jesus. Man, friends, what if that was our goal? Every day when I lay my pillow or my head on my pillow at night, Jesus, just let me look a little bit more like you. I want to live that way. How do you want your life to be guided? The choice is yours. It's always yours. If you want to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit-led path begins at the cross. By nailing to the cross the things, the sins, uh, the desires, the things you need to leave there. That's what it says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I might have to nail it to the cross every single day, but if that's where I begin, if I'm nailing it to the cross and I'm leaving those things there, and then I'm taking the hand of Jesus who meets me at the cross and leads me on the path that he has for me, then I will bear good fruit. I will live a Holy Spirit-guided life. That's what it looks like. And so what I want to do for any of us who are joining today who say, I have not made a decision to follow Jesus, but I want to. Maybe you're saying, you know, Stephen, I lived my life in some of those other ways that you've mentioned, and I know that the fruit is not good. I was not more joy-filled. I was not filled with love. I was not filled with peace. I was not kinder or more gentle. Like, I was not self-control. I was not uh, under control. Whatever it is. You're saying, like, I've lived that, and it's not how I want to live the rest. And so I'm willing to take the hand of Jesus. What I want to do right now is I just want to invite you, where you're at, to pray a simple prayer with me. Maybe you want to open up your hands to just acknowledge that you're giving Jesus uh, kind of the respect and honor that you want to give to somebody who you're inviting to come 
and to be your Lord and just pray with me right now. Just repeat after me and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I admit that I've tried a lot of other things and I've seen a lot of other fruit grow. And I know that it's not worth chasing after. So today I accept your forgiveness and I accept your offer of more. And I choose today to grab hold of your hand and I ask for you to come and to lead me. Lead me on the path that you have for my life. Let my life bear good fruit. I choose to love you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, friends, if you just prayed that, I would love to connect with you. Uh, send me an email at, at stephen at vineyardhopkinton.org. Uh, I would love to connect with you. Uh, and to hear what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life. For all of us who are here, uh, before I say goodbye today, I just want to pray over us that our lives will bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so anybody joining today, if you want to, again, just put out your hands because you want your life to become a little bit more like Jesus today. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that in our lives that we will become today a little bit more like you. Let our lives bear fruit that is loving, that is joy-filled, that is peace-filled, that is filled with kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. That's under control. That's patient. We want to live our lives reflecting you to our world. Give us grace to do that today. In Jesus' name. Mm -hmm.